Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. On this episode of Film Chat, CIA officer Danny Moran is left in the lurch when Kevin Pope, one of his key undercover agents, is killed in Moscow. However, as luck would have it, Kevin had an identical twin brother called Sam Foster who was adopted separately from Kevin at birth. Or just after birth, probably. I mean, not at birth. That'd be ridiculous. Sam, however, is not quite the chip of the old block I hoped he would be. Though he's very intelligent, his life hasn't amounted to much, and he just about makes a living as a chess hustler in New York. He doesn't share any of Kevin's tastes. I mean, Kevin likes classical music and fine wine, but Sam likes hip-hop and normal things. Anyway, I recruit Sam and spend the next week training him up in order for him to be able to attend an arms deal using his brother's identity. Sam, despite making a few social faux pas, rises to the occasion and manages to get information about an imminent terror attack in America, is what I would be saying if this was a podaptation of the 2002 classic Bad Company, starring Anthony Hopkins and Chris Rock. This is, however, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is my street-smart friend with untapped potential... Sam Foster. Hello. This week we review two films that cater to such different audiences, it's highly improbable any one person will enjoy listening to us talk about them both. Danny bursts through a plywood door and yells at Bastille Day, the Paris set action thriller starring Game of Thrones' Richard Madden and Luke for himself, Idris Elba! I, meanwhile, slide open a paper door and respectfully greet Our Little Sister, a Japanese family drama with all the bite and aggression of a deflated balloon animal. All that, plus, following Sony Pictures' spat with North Korea last year, against all odds, another major studio is butting heads with an East Asian communist government. Also, following the terrible box office performance of Anomalisa, against all odds, another puppet movie aimed at adults is being made. And following our podcast track record of defiantly low listening figures, against all odds, we unveil our first sponsor. Finally, there should just be enough time for me to pitch my own action thriller starring Idris Elba, Pastille Day, in which the sexy Brixtonian must find and disarm a bomb set to go off on a new national holiday celebrating the deliciousness of the fruit pastel. Scenes include Idris choking a terrorist with a strawberry lace, discovering Richard Madden lied about not having diabetes, and eating too much sherbet and getting a sick tummy. More details on that later. Films, 
sounds low. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. So our biggest fan in Bangkok, Steph Mildinner, has written in. He took exception to our, our review of The Jungle Book. Both he and his young daughter liked it much more than we did. He says, This version of The Jungle Book is much better than the shoddy original. I have seen both recently as I have a six-year-old daughter, and the original version is borderline racist with many of its characters and has a really sexist ending. Although the ending of the new film is obviously setting up a sequel, it is better than the offensive original ending. The only thing better in the older film is the songs. 70s Disney films have not aged well, e.g. there are at least six racist or sexist stereotypes in Lady and the Tramp. I think you may be viewing the original film through rose-tinted and slightly blurry nostalgia goggles. It has a few good set pieces, but that's about it. Anyway, my daughter liked the new film more. Christopher Walken and Idris Elba always add value to a film, even though their voices are so recognisable. Your review was 25% correct, maximum. That's low percentage. Love the show! Keep up the superb work, all three of you. But that was a joint review, so... Cheers. Are, are you, are, like, are you 12.5% correct and I'm 12.5% correct? Or is one of us completely wrong right. and one of us, like, 50% correct? Yeah, that's a good question. Wait a second, 25-25. I'm getting my maths wrong. 50% of 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, we agreed pretty much on yeah. everything about that so um well you know i guess we've got it split even we got to defer to the six-year-old right it's made for it's made for the six-year-old it's made girl. for the six-year-old and they are the future yeah the children although i don't know we don't know what the six-year-old thinks of the original it she might be... love the bit at the end where he goes off because he's like got a boner at the side of the <laughs> village girl i think it's more that she's like singing about how great it is going to be when she grows up and gets to like just carry pots and stuff what she tells someone else to carry the pot yeah and then i like, have a daughter and she can carry the pot as well it's yeah like... and he's like great I, maybe i can marry her and make her daughter carry a pot it must be a real um i don't know maybe i'm overstaying it, it must be a real <laughs> minefield being a parent but having a kid like having these movies which might have slightly dated values yeah you're, like you're questioning like you know i personally want to show my kid dumbo you know too oh racist. really? You think it's just too racist? I feel like those it's things. Too sad. It's like you know. I think sad those things racist. kind of like just slide off kids. I feel like yeah. I would be quite relaxed about it. But it's interesting. This film has sparked such a debate. Join in, listeners. Why don't you reply to Steph's own comment and take him down a peg, <laughs> 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 or agree with him? Take us down a peg. I don't know. Whatever you want. Or disagree with him and take him down a peg. <laughs> or you could disagree with us. But you could disagree with him. Maybe have you? a third viewpoint. Take us all down pegs. So I hear that someone here right now has a theory about an actor. What is it? <laughs> you read that off a very slow teleprompter. <laughs> yeah, which there's, a, there's an ellipsis well, on the end of every card. So I've got this theory about Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Sam. And it doesn't really fit into any of our designated slots in the podcast. So I've just had to crowbar into the correspondence okay so this all came about because last week or maybe the week before a film called criminal was released which we didn't review because it got universally panned and the plot was that kevin costner is like a sort of crazy criminal and a cia operative played by ronnie reynolds uh dies in the field but he's got key information so they have like a neurotransplant and put his memories and brain into kevin costner's head but I was like, wait a second, that sounds familiar. And the film he made before Deadpool was this film called Self-Less, 
where Ben Kingsley is an old man has his mind put inside Ryan Reynolds' head. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And I was like, but then there's this 2011 film called The Change-Up where Ryan Reynolds and Jason <laughs> Bateman's like switch heads. It's like a body swap comedy. That's true, yeah. So I was like, that's weird that one actor would revisit the same premise three <laughs> times, right? That's odd. And then I thought, like, does he just like that premise? And I was like, wait a second. Maybe he's just, he likes being in other people's heads. He doesn't like himself. He's not comfortable in his own skin. Oh, I right? see, yeah. And the moment you have that premise, his whole filmography is thrown to this context of Ryan Reynolds hates himself. Interesting, okay. In Deadpool, he's horribly disfigured. Yeah. In Deadpool, there's a lot of self-hate in it. Well, self-hate. In uh, Buried, he's just buried alive. He thinks he deserves <laughs> that. In The Proposal, he's all downtrodden, just bullied and harassed by that boss. <laughs> yeah, okay. Stretching a little bit, but yeah, okay. So I think his entire filmography is just like, like a cry for help. In Green Lantern. Green Lantern. He's a bit of a miserable... I actually think, like... I haven't seen Green Lantern, but I'm aware that one of the things in it is that he's a bit of a dope and his girlfriend is always having to like pick him up with... Uh, um, encouraging speeches yeah so yeah maybe that's he's it Ryan Reynolds hates himself he's, he's always trying, trying to escape he's trying to escape himself in Green Lantern he's trying to escape into space yeah I mean that's pretty like desperate once he gets it? up they realise he's still there yeah that's the problem <laughs> that's the problem with that idea but yes that's very interesting I did notice that I actually thought initially when I heard about these premises that like maybe a criminal was a sequel to Selfless it's like passing on the brain to the next person <laughs> you know Ryan Reynolds had Ben Kingsley's brain yeah. And now Ryan Reynolds' own brain is in uh, Kevin Costner, and there'll be a third movie uh, called Still... Crim slash Self or something. And Kevin Costner's brain will go into, I don't know, L. Fanning's head or something. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, but can you think of another actor who's done three separate films with the same premise? Yeah, I think like Change Up is a bit different because that's more like a Freaky Friday body swap comedy. But it's all the same kind of thing, I guess. Your mind going to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's one to it's one to ponder. Anyway, I'm going to put this theory up on Facebook. I'm going to get Reddit on it. I'm going to start a whole subculture of people investigating Ryan Reynolds' mental states. Does he yeah. hate himself? That sounds a little creepy, but um, admirable. Go for it. Um, before we end this segment, I just want to say something very quickly. So I was re-listening to the previous episode of Film Chat, and on like the 15th re-listen, that's how much I love listening to us, I noticed that in my review of D-Pan, I'm like, uh, oh, there's not much Islamophobia in uh, Paris or, you know, in France when they go there. And there's you know, not much of a sort of anti-Muslim sentiment in the movie. And I was listening to that and I was like, but wait a second, are those characters Muslims? Like, yeah. is Sri Lanka even a Muslim country? So I was like, I might have said a, a sort of ignorant boo-boo. Yeah. And it turns out that I did. So in Sri Lanka, the most popular religion by some distance is Buddhism. 70% of the population are Buddhist. Then Hinduism with 12.6%. This is in 2011. 2011 figures, according to Wikipedia. And then Islam only comes in third uh, with under 10%. So the chances that they're Muslim are quite small. You know, but I guess for the people of the racists of France who might have been characters in the film but weren't, you know, it, does, it makes probably doesn't make that much of a difference but, because they're not very religious. So I still think that it's a legitimate general point about the fact that they didn't tackle an aspect of French culture when you think they might have done, but it was also deeply ignorant myself. And I want to apologize to the nation of Sri Lanka and its beautiful inhabitants. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. 
So, news time. You know what I love? Murder. Ooh. Do you know what I also love? Puppets. Even better, yes. And a film is going up to production which satisfies these two things I love. The film in question is called Happy Time Murders, which has been in uh, muted for a while, since 2008, and is the brainchild of Brian Henson, son of the legendary Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets. And it's an action comedy where, in a sort of Who Framed Roger Rabbit style world, where Muppets and, or puppets, I guess they're not officially Muppets, puppets and humans coexist, and they're crime, and it's a crime thriller about members of a now off-the-air TV show being killed. Yeah. And Jamie Foxx is in talks to star as the sort of male uh, lead, the sort of cop who teams up with a puppet private investigator to discover who's doing all the happy time murders. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah, this makes sense on like a variety of levels, I think, because the kind of crass puppet who's like vulgar, even though you think they're for children, is a bit like something like Avenue Q. And it also sounds a little bit like Ted. Yeah. It's like a buddy cop comedy version of Ted. Well, this was like muted in 2008, so it predates both of these. Maybe it was just in the Well, I guess water. people like, this is a shit idea, this is a shit idea, this is a shit idea. Ted made money on a sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now make it. Maybe it was like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how these things work. But I'm excited about how just weird it sounds. It sounds, yeah, it does sound weird. Uh, it sounds sort of weird, but familiar um, in that it you know makes you think of a bunch of other things. What I hope that it isn't is just like a completely average buddy cop comedy just sort of uh, coasting on the fact that one of the characters is a puppet. Like, I hope it goes quite odd, because Who from Roger Rabbit um, gets quite mental and, yeah. does, and does a lot with its with its idea and gets, like, quite spooky and creepy, so, um, yeah. Well, it's just weird, the idea of murdering a puppet. Like, yes. how, how's that going to work? What, do they bleed? Just, like, tissue paper? <laughs> a hand? <laughs> when they bleed like a hand, you know? If that's the kind of puppet it is, one with someone's hand up their ass. <laughs> the, the, the hand just, like, comes just out. Just comes out, and the person's <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> like the hand sort of falls out the front <laughs> i don't know like in a world where they coexist with humans though like what is it like a giant hand like i mean you're picturing something weirder than they could possibly be. <laughs> i think that's how they should do it yeah because the rest of it like in uh, on deadline it's just it's described as two mismatched detectives one a type a take no prisoners human with a secret and the other a crass hard-drinking puppet with a connection to one of the victims like that sounds like the most normal boring thing ever except one of the things is a puppet yeah so i'm hoping it will hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Or embrace the craziness. Trailer watch. A big trailer drop this week. Oliver Stone has always got his finger on the political pulse. And he's produced his films before we have a historical lens long enough to really understand the events that happened. Um, and the latest um, thing that he's doing is adapting uh, the Snowden story which is pretty topical. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays Snowden. The trailer dropped. I didn't watch it out of principle, out of respect for Edward. Uh, no, I, just, I don't know why I didn't, but I just didn't. Um, you haven't seen it? No. Oh, my God. So the thing to be said about this trailer is Joseph Gordon-Levitt is doing Snowden's voice. Right. In a, a bizarre way. And to me, 
it's sort of it sounds it's like halfway between his voice and Snowden. It's quite a good impre- in um, sort of mimic, but it sounds to me like the tall guy in the small car from that Simpsons episode. Oh, really? This is the largest automobile I could yeah. afford. You laugh at everyone else, now we laugh at you. Wait a second. Katie, put in a bit of the trailer now. The deputy director of the NSA offered me a new position. Can you tell me anything about it? <laughs> you know I can't. Put in a bit of actual Snowden in now. <laughs> Bad passwords are one of the easiest ways to compromise a system. Now put in the Simpsons tall guy voice now. Everyone needs to drive a vehicle, even the very tall. This was the largest auto that I could afford. Thanks for that. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, man, you're so right. I still haven't heard it, listeners, because Danny just said that stuff. The but... trailer is pretty bad. It's full of terrible cliches. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit where he's doing like the sort of data test to get into the you know data school, or whatever. And Reeves is like, it only takes pe-. he's, he's he's American. Yeah. He's like a world weary American guy. He's like, it only takes people like five hours to just test. And then like Chisel is like, I've completed the test. Like it's been forty minutes. Like thirty eight, sir. What do I do now? And he's like, whatever you want. Wow. Stupid genius guy. <laughs> That's amazing. Wait, but wasn't there that exact scene in The Imitation Game? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you just cannot do that scene anymore. Even in The Imitation Game, it felt really old and tired. Someone does the test super fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't do a test scene after Men in Black. That's got the world's best test scene in it. This is another Joseph Gordon-Levitt film, which feels unnecessary in the same way The Walk was like a sort of remake. Of the documentary. Of... Um, Man and Wire. Yeah, you're right, yeah. The Citizen Four exists. Citizen Four, not only is Citizen Four great, but it's like, you know, really dramatic. They were filming like when it was all happening, when well, shit was kicking off. Absolutely, you know? because uh, the walk got pretty sort of negative reviews. But the one thing people said was that the actual walk bit was really good because that's the one bit they couldn't do in the documentary. Yeah. But the documentary has the footage you want. Yeah. You know, what can they possibly Citizen recreate? Four feels like a drama when you yeah, watch yeah. it. It feels like a spy thriller. So it feels a little unnecessary. Yeah. I think from the trailer, Oliver Stone's on Snowden's side. <laughs> I think he might be pro Snowden. Like Snowden? Yeah. He's Proden. He's Proden. He's Edward Proden. Yeah, I mean, he's not got a great history, does he? No, he's been a bit. O Stones. O Stones. He's been a bit patchy lately. Patchy O Stones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep on saying words. <laughs> anyway. Patchy O Stones sounds like the world's worst cereal. Yeah, so <laughs> look forward to see how that develops, and I look forward to watching that trailer, which is what a pro would have done. So, final bit of news. Legal news. Mm. Paramount Pictures are being sued by the Chinese uh, state-backed tourist board, Wulong Cast, who apparently paid $750,000 to have uh, its logo featured in scenes from Transformers 4, and Paramount just did not do this. Just... Yeah, we don't like it. <laughs> we, we <laughs> we'll take just... your money, but nah. Uh, so uh, they're obviously a bit annoyed. They're suing Paramount. Paramount's got this bizarre defense where they said uh, Michael Bay made an advert for the resort and the props from that advert were left on the site, which could be used to increase tourism. So don't know why the Chinese are complaining. We've left them all this shit we can be asked to take back on the play of us. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really... I, I don't really understand how that's even supposed to help, like, yeah, at all. I don't either. But apparently the company's taking both Paramount and the China Movie Channel, who were involved in some way, I guess, uh, to court for $27.7 million. 
the Which verdict is yet to be delivered. Shitloads more than 750,000. But this is a big deal because the Chinese market is a big part of the studio's business plan and it made Transformers 4 made 320 million there and became the country's fourth biggest film of all time. That's incredible, isn't it? Like that is <laughs> like that is absolutely astounding. Yeah, the rest of the film has got to be very positive about China. Yeah, exactly. Because like with these the Transformers franchise, they get terrible reviews. They don't they do pretty well, but it's like the overseas money is where it really justifies making it. Yeah. So they gotta keep the Chinese happy. It sounds a bit weird. We've got to keep the Chinese happy. <laughs> We've got to keep the Chinese territories happy. So it's kinda kinda fascinating. I love how it's being sued about like the worst thing about modern movies is product placement, they just didn't even do it. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> I mean it sounds like an open and shut case. If that article on IO9 is accurate in the description of it, it's like we paid you three quarters of a million dollars to put a logo in your film. That's not even the worst. It's not like Fast and Furious Seven where they had to like spend half the film talking about how delicious Corona is. It's like you know, just put the logo in, you know? Yeah. Although I'm I've while you were talking, I was Googling Wulong Cars Tourism Board and attempt uh, to f- why were you Googling while I was talking, Sam? Well, I was listening and Googling. And I was trying to find their logo and I can't. So they obviously desperately need some exposure. Either that or Google has banned it. <laughs> I don't know. One of the two. I'm just getting a lot of pictures of um the area of Wulong Cast in China, which seems to be delightful. Looks absolutely beautiful. Sam, don't say that unless they're giving you three quarters of a million. That's why you're talking into that golden microphone right now, Danny. Oh, wow. You already struck a deal. Yeah, I struck a, I struck a great deal. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. This episode of Film Chat is brought to you by the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. The Scalp and Hair Clinic of Teresa and Eleanor Richardson. They are the UK's most sought-after Afro hair trichologists, I'm told, treating both Afro and European hair and scalp conditions. I personally have experience of their peppermint shampoo. I have to say that it was a great shampoo to use. It's funny they should mention that because I've also used that shampoo, but I went one further. Afterwards, I used their scalp peppermint treatment. This involved me putting in my hair... Yeah. Liberally, it said. Yeah. I followed the instructions to the T, mm-hmm. and then running a hot bath to steam it up. Okay. So steam it for 20 minutes. Had to soak in the tub, let it all steam, rinse it out. I mean, smell my hair, Sam. Okay, I'll smell it right now. Dear Lord, that is some good smelling hair. And listeners, if you want to appreciate the uh, wonderful stuff they have an offer at the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic, I suggest you go to FulhamScalpHairClinic.com, enter the promo code FILMCHAT, to receive your free starter pack, including a rechargeable mechanized scalp gremlin that massages, rejuvenates, and checks for lice, a 5-gram sample of quote-unquote perfect hair with matching display case, and a voucher for a one-on-one hair and scalp consultation via Skype with BAFTA award-winning actress and Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic scalp champion Olivia Coleman. Wow! And she'll take you through uh, everything you need to do with your hair and your scalp. That is... FulhamScalpHairClinic.com and you can find them in Fulham, obviously, nearest cheapest Parsons Green. Go check them out. Oh yeah, and the promo code is bullshit. I made that up. None of that is true. But the rest of it is absolutely true. So I went right up against the wire with my movie watching this week. I didn't really have a movie ready to watch. And last night it was a little late and I put on <laughs> Our Little Sister 
which is this very low-key Japanese um, family drama. I watched about an hour of it, and I got, like, too sleepy, had to go to bed. And then, like, I woke up early this morning before work to, like, polish off the final hour. Wow. So if you think that maybe my view on the movie is not going to be the most nuanced because I was, like, half asleep most of the time I was watching it, <laughs> <laughs> just take that into account is all I'm going to say. So this film uh, premiered at Cannes last year and was quite well received. It's got a pretty good Rotten Tomatoes score. So it's about three young sisters called Sachi, Yoshino, and Chika, and they live together in a house that was left to them by their grandmother. Their mother lives elsewhere. Their father abandoned them when they were very, very young to go off with another woman. And then early on in the movie, they hear that their father has died, um, and even though they don't have much relationship with him, they travel off to visit the funeral. And there they meet his daughter by this other woman um, who is called Suzu. She's only 14, so she's um, younger than them. They get along well at the funeral and um, Sachi invites Suzu to come and live with them. Um, and so they all sort of hang out together and like uh, form a new family unit. Cool. It is one of the most gentle films like I've ever seen. It's a real like warm summer breeze of a movie. Like the characters are all really beautiful and they wear lovely clothes. The sun is shining all the time. Uh, and even when it rains, it kind of is dramatic, beautiful rain, you know, on cobblestones and stuff. Yeah. It just looks lovely. Uh, a lot of time is spent wandering around on the beach. It looks like you could take any um, frame from it and, like, put it on the cover of uh, some kind of airport novel about, like, <laughs> you know, about the same thing, sure, I guess. Sure. <laughs> you know, gentle people wandering about being nice to each other. And there's, like, a lot of scenes of the girls bonding, hanging out, making each other laugh, like, cooking delicious meals (laughs) and stuff like that. It's just about on the right side of sweet, I think. Although it's borderline cloying at times. I found it a little unengaging. But the the drama that it's trying to present is basically comes from the past um, of all these girls because um, they have shattered family histories. Um, having had you know parental issues and stuff and they're kind of still working through their issues around abandonment and death and stuff like that and they obviously made the decision to tackle this in just the sunniest way ever so most of the time they're having a great time and then occasionally one of them will like get a bit sad or there'll be like a reference to you know how they're miserable their past or something and or they'll bicker a bit you know and then they'll just hug and like sort of make up very shortly afterwards and yeah because they're so resolutely cheery it's the the underlying problems only kind of disturb the surface of the movie and they're resolved a bit too rapidly so that kind of made it less than dramatic for me there's three funerals in the film i think for a film with three funerals like it's remarkable how able they are to keep things sort of zipping (laughs) along (laughs) yeah you know it's like they're kind of like are they at a funeral they just dressed in black and hanging out and like you know because they seem so completely fine the central four girls are incredibly likable and that kind of sustains the movie in a way because if you don't enjoy watching them hang out and eat dinner, you know, the movie kind of falls flat on its face. But they all have great um, sororal chemistry and you just... I think if you're in the right mood, you're just perfectly happy to see them eat their tasty yeah, food. Yeah. and like, like a hangout movie. It's like, Yeah, it's kind of like a hangout movie, exactly. Especially the eldest one and the youngest one both put in really excellent performances. And they have real depth, I think, in their the sort of character work they're doing through their acting, even though the movie doesn't really confront you with it very much. There's a kind of... The stuff that happens is dramatic in... I don't know if it's in a soap opera way or if that's just... That's what dramatic things are happening in people's lives, you know, like people falling in love, people dying and, like, heartbreak and stuff. 
but it just sort of flitters along and like you know and then they're basically pretty happy at the beginning and then they're they're happy at the end you know so (laughs) does it sort of um those kind of movies just by reducing the stakes they just like uh, how do I put this? Like zeroing in on sort of domestic life. Does everything come a bit more loaded? You know what I mean? Like Mad Men. No. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I know what you mean, but like not reading this movie, it's not tense. Right. It just never seems like anything that bad is going to happen. You know, there's one bit where the oldest one like has an argument with her mother and it's like, those are sharp words, you know, but they kind of make up quite soon after. <laughs> so it's like, that was okay. It's, it's, that's not like a long thing that goes through the whole movie and is an issue. It feels like a film that wants to evoke a bunch of deep personal pain, but not really rub your face in it. It's more of a of a tribute to the way that humans can deal with these problems, but still be really kind and nice to each other. Um, they're all ridiculously nice. And I, I think actually it's quite successful at giving them different characters um, and differentiating them well, even though their sort of niceness is a good like 85% of all the character stuff <laughs> they have to do. <laughs> Um, and there's like just charming scenes of um, their they have like some interest in boys and occasionally like they will be like hang out with their boyfriend or whatever or they're like yeah you know the the youngest one plays football and you know there's some sort of romance develops but it's the kind of romance where they will just stand several feet away from each other and like say slightly nice things to each other and they'd be like now I'm going home you know it's like <laughs> it's very um very light. How does it compare to Sex and the City two in um, terms of four female leads? <laughs> yeah i hadn't thought of the sex in the city comparison i would say that because <laughs> there isn't one <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting though that's really really interesting yeah there isn't one i guess that uh, they're both celebrating female friendships in a kind of a way i think that that very fact makes it a bit different to your average fair i think i'd much rather watch this movie about women than about men just because it's like you know, I've got to hang out in my own skin all the time, and you know, at least I'm already is, a man. I'm already hanging out with men I all think. the time. I don't, you know, I don't yeah. need to see that. Uh, don't see any more of that. Um, so, uh, wait a second. Yeah, but What's sound? I'm hanging out with you. You know, it's not like you hang out with your friends. You don't count. You know, that's like a different relationship that I'm not experiencing. Yeah, exactly. Because if I'm there, it's not. You know, that relationship isn't happening. Yeah, it's you like cannot, a. You cannot be in a female-only space. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. By this definition. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like when you like observe monkeys, it. but then they change their behavior because they know they're being watched. Yes, it's women very... are like monkeys. <laughs> That's the point I'm making. No. Katie can cut that out and make you sound awful at, at any at any point. Just, just randomly, any just randomly. Review? Women are like monkeys. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I I think that. If you want to watch something that is just going to be a ray of sunshine blasted directly into your face and make you yeah. want to go a holiday in Japan and like, you know, then then watch Our Little Sisters. Sort of like a Sunday afternoon kind of movie. sort of. Absolutely. Yeah. It's very much like that. I found it kind of fine. I can imagine you going in and hearing the sound. There's a lot of like something beautiful happens then it fades to black. You know, that happens. Yeah. yeah. And I can imagine being, getting cynical about it and being like, come on, something fucking happened in this film. Um, so I think it depends on how you feel about going into it. I think I could have done with like a little bit more dramatic bite. Sure. It was just a little bit too um, fluffy, but all, all together fine. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Okay. I can pose. Okay, enough of that Japanese art house, people staring at beaches or whatever you were just talking about. Real cinema, Sam, in the form of Bastille Day. Mm. You've probably seen the trailers. You might have seen the posters on the tube. 
I have seen them both. Here is the synopsis. So uh, Richard Madden, probably best known as Rob Stark from Game of Thrones, plays Michael Mason. He is an expat American living in Paris and making a living being a very gifted pickpocket. Uh, one night he steals the bag of a woman, takes all the valuables, and then jumps the bag in the bin. But the bin then explodes. There was a bomb in the bag. He accidentally pickpocketed a terrorist. Anyway, so the authorities think he's the bad guy. They're out to get him. Meanwhile, at the CIA offices in Paris, Maverick and insubordinate badass Sean Breyer, played by Idris Elba, is tasked with tracking down Mason. The two inevitably join forces to take down the real terrorists who are whipping up anti-Muslim sentiments in France in the build-up to Bastille Day. Here is a clip of Idris Elba ordering Richard Madden to display his pickpocket skills. Display your pickpocket skills! Show me your bloody pickpocket skills, Madden! And now, <laughs> here's the clip. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. I wouldn't have a guy come up to me in the street and ask me to steal his wallet. It doesn't work like that. Just do it. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I'd, I'd walk up to the guy, avoid eye contact, step to the side, look him in the eye, and then I'd be gone. Still there. But the money's gone. See, I took the wallet the first time, then put it back the second, only without the money. It's all about the distraction. You were too busy watching me to see what I was doing. Give me that. So this is a film which is very much a commercial product with a specific audience in mind and a specific budget level it's hitting. And though it's made by Studio Canal, it's very reminiscent of the films produced by Europocorp, which is Luke Besson's production company, where they get a actor with some international uh, fame and put him in a sort of pretty generic thriller set in Paris, which is kind of inexpensive to make. Notable examples of this are like Kevin Costner in Three Days to Kill, John Travolta in From Paris of Love, and of course Liam Neeson in Taken. And I'd be interested to find out what is the business plan for these films and how much money they make, because it feels like its real uh, destination is the home video market. And they basically got enough money to hire some good recognizable actors and to produce some action scenes which will make a exciting trailer but the trailer is perhaps overselling the film and it feels as though it's a script for like a 30 million dollar action thriller but they've got 10 million to make it yeah so it feels a bit like on the cheap and given how throwaway and lightweight this film is almost like any critique of it seems kind of pointless because they've delivered the film they were supposed to but saying that there's like a certain hollowness to it and it's a bit like I don't think anyone involved in this film really cared that much. You know, it's no one's passion project. And it's almost a shame because if all you have to do in your film is deliver X number of explosions and X number of punchy, fighty stuff, it leaves a lot of space to do whatever you want. But the actual film is very generic. So it's directed by this guy called James Watkins, who is an up-and-coming British director who made Big Splash of Eden Lake, that sort of Michael Fassbender and Kelly Riley being terrorised by youths film. And then did Woman in Black, which was quite well regarded. And he keeps things zipping along at a, like, a fair pace. And it's like directed fine, but it's not. It's a bit weird that he's made it in a way because it's quite a sort of corporate gig. And you think they just go on a, like Olivia Megaton or one of those roster of like Parisian directors Luke Besson seems to have on a Rolodex. Like Lou Leterrier. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Maybe he had a mortgage. I don't know. But uh, I wouldn't say it's spectacularly directed. And the script by this guy called uh, Andrew Baldwin is quite ropey it's basically a set of um, action set pieces stitched together with twists you'll see a mile off if you don't know who the villain is when he turns up then you're just not you're not trying hard <laughs> enough 
But one of the, like, well, I say one of the interesting elements of the script is the way it's structured around the build-up to Bastille Day and deals with the sort of anti-Muslim uh, undercurrent of hatred in Paris. But this is really just meaningless. It could have been any city, and it's just kind of thrown in there. And it's a shame because that might have been a quite fertile ground to put a thriller in. Yeah. But it's just sort of there. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't really mean anything. I think they just like, you know, what 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 um national holiday doesn't have a film after it? Maybe Steel they, Day. Maybe they were keen to avoid the um slightly xenophobic undercurrents of something like Taken. Yeah. You know, and they're like, here's one way, we'll pay lip service to it, so that doesn't seem quite like that. Oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about. Maybe that's true. But the yeah, there's some bits to enjoy about it. There's a few fun action scenes and a rooftop chase is probably the best bit in the movie, which is quite fun. And uh, there's a few fun action beats. Sometimes uh, it's a bit like that scene in Indiana Jones where the guy with the sword does the sword fights and Indiana Jones just shoots him. But I feel like there's a couple of moments like that, which is because they can't afford the more expensive action scene. So right. they invent like a sort of comedy way to get out of it. But I was like, that's kind of inventive. And it displayed a certain amount of wit, which wasn't really in display for the rest of the film. But I'd say the best thing about the film is the cast. And I like Richard Madden a lot. I'm not sure if there's just residual warmth because of Game of Thrones. And I like to see him do well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he suffered, he suffered so much. <laughs> he suffered so much. But he's a very likable actor. And uh, despite like a slight ropey American accent. Oh, by the way, everyone in this movie is American. <laughs> All the British actors are American. I think for international selling reasons. He doesn't really get a whole lot to do. We're just lucky that he doesn't play Chinese or something. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. For that market. And the uh, trailer and the poster promise like a sort of buddy comedy, but that's not really true, which is a shame because him and Idris Elba have quite good chemistry, but they're kind of, it's only the middle stretch of the movie where that sort of takes place. But they, know, they make a good double act. And I think the film is very lucky to have got Idris Elba. It was shot in 2014, and I don't know whether he just had a few gambling debts that week, or his star hadn't fully risen, or he just liked the idea of being a badass guy shooting people, but he's like just a total movie star. And he completely elevates the film. He just like he can be in any old shit and make it watchable. That's what that's like the only reason Luther gets commissioned. I think that film, you know, that is terrible about Idris Elba. That's like yeah. an unwatchable show. This is this is segue into my Luther review. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's just effortlessly charismatic. And like he should just be Bond. I was watching this. I mean, maybe it's just an audition tape he just signed up for. He could send to the Broccoli family. Like, yeah. look, look at all the punching and shooting I can do. Maybe he looked at the script and he was like, Bond Steel Day. That sounds perfect <laughs> for me. <laughs> Yeah, so he basically makes it worthwhile. I think without Idris Elba, the quality of the film would drop about 40%, maybe. It's like, it's kind of <laughs> integral to its success. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I can really say about the film because it's got nothing, there's nothing else going on. Well, if I was going to watch one of these Sausage Factory, you know, Ten of Penny European thrillers, I'd much rather Idris than like Kevin Costner or Liam Neeson or Sean Penn, like the gunman, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's got a, a bit of sense of humor to it, which maybe yeah. is lacking in those other sort of Luc Besson-produced thrillers. Even though this isn't Luc Besson-produced. French set, international man, grumpy older man who needs to pay his mortgage films. Yeah. In- international man of grumpiness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, bring on Idris Elba's Bond. That's what I say. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my ass Cause I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat so 
on film chat previously a lot of the time when idris is on our screens i take the opportunity to do a sort of embarrassing south london rapping voice um <laughs> and it sort of impersonate him and that must have got back to mr elber himself i was all ready to do another song for bastille day and we just did one for jungle Book last week i'm like you know six songs in this joke is going strong still as fresh as ever and I was getting, I was gearing up to drop some sick beats for Bastille Day, and then you revealed to me, Danny, that the end credits of Bastille Day have a wonderful surprise. Yes, it's literally Idris Elba has collaborated with Norman Cook, Fat Boy Slim himself, to actually make a Bastille Day end credit song. Yeah, he's been listening to Film Chat. He's heard a few of the songs. He's like, quite like it's pretty good. Um, or however he talks, doesn't sound like that at all. <laughs> Yeah, but he's like, I could probably do myself even better than Sam can. <laughs> he probably thinks that. He probably thinks that. So, um, so yeah, so this is an extra exciting treat for our listeners this week as they get to hear a bit of real Idris Elba. I don't know if it quite meets the Mike Elba quality, but yeah. And um, just want to say, Idris, what a privilege it is for you to be listening to the podcast and for you to be such a fan of um, the songs. Absolutely. And I want to say that the fact that we now know you're listening didn't affect my review at all. No. I mean, I wrote all those kind things way before weeks we before. even... Weeks before. Weeks before we even saw the film. <laughs> I didn't even see the film. I'd already written it. In fact, I've written all the reviews for all your upcoming films <laughs> as well. And I'll... you're great in them all. <laughs> you're great in them. You can check the date modified. Yeah. I wrote those in 2014. Yeah. You're a champ. Anyway. You're a champ, mate. See you next week, Idris. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.